Monday, September 23rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me as always, Jared Smola. And another week of NFL action has punched many of us in the gut. Jared, I don't think there was any more painful blow this week than the Saquon Barkley injury. Suffered a high right ankle sprain in that win over the Bucks, And it sounds like he could be out a while. It just sucks, man. I just want to watch more Saquon Barkley. Especially that, you know, now that the Giants offense looks like it has some life with Daniel Jones. So unfortunate, um, you know, I don't want to like Wayne Gallman, but I think we sort of have to now. Yep. And, uh, you know, we were going back and forth on Wayne Gallman a little bit earlier. So, I mean, first of all, the, the latest reports say that it, it looks like a four to eight week window. Ian Rappaport says four to six weeks. Adam Schefter says four to eight. And that the longer timeline looks more likely. The Giants have a week 11 bye. that's seven games away from now. So, Maybe that's when we're waiting until to get Barkley back. We'll see how that goes. But for now, Wayne Gallman's the top back for however long that is. They have Washington in week four. So he's at least going to be a consideration for a lot of fantasy owners heading into week four. Beyond that, they're the Vikings and then the Patriots. So if we were only getting uh, Wayne Gallman in for Saquon Barkley for the next three weeks, I would say Wayne Gallman is not very intriguing at all. But on the other side of that game, we've got the Cardinals in Week 7, Lions, Cowboys, and Jets after that. So if we might have Gallman for that whole stretch, I think he gets a lot more interesting. I mean, it's really all about volume with Wayne Gallman, which is you know the most important thing for running backs in fantasy football. Right now, the there's no other running back on the Giants roster right now. They have fullback Elijah Penny. They're going to add someone to the backfield, and, and I guess we'll see. I mean, I'm trying to think of who's out there. Like, Jay Ajayi is still out there, but you know he's garnered like no interest. I don't know. C.J. Anderson's out there now. C.J. Yeah, there you go. I mean, if they if they sign someone like C.J. Anderson, then we'll have to back off Wayne Gallman. But as the roster stands now, like he's going to be playing seventy to eighty percent of the snaps, and you know he's going to be a good bat for fifteen plus touches per game. So you know, regardless of how good you think he is, I think he he's going to be a fantasy option. And and of course, you know Daniel Jones and what he is bringing to that offense obviously helps Gallman going forward. Kind of funny that this happens like a week after they wave Paul Perkins too. It makes you wonder yeah. what might have changed if he had stuck around. For Gallman, I mean, he's not very good, but I did look into him further after we were talking about him this morning and setting our free agent focus article, which of course is, is live on DraftSharks.com right now. And we get that posted overnight between the Sunday games and Monday morning. Wayne Gallman had just 63 total opportunities last year, carries plus targets. 2017, he saw a lot more work before the Saquon Barkley era started. He did finish 22nd in pro football focus elusive rating among 96 running running backs with 20-plus carries. He was 31st among that group in yards after contact per attempt. So not a total schmo. He can play football a bit. Uh, 31st and 29th among 47 qualifiers and football outsiders, rushing efficiency metrics that season, 2017, that is. 48th and 48th among 62 qualifiers on the receiving side. So again, Wayne Gallman's not a special guy. He's okay. We'll see how he fares. We'll also see how this offense is. We were, we're just one game into the Daniel Jones era right now. Yeah, that, that's fair. Gallman ran for 3,400 yards on 5.1 yards per carry over his three seasons at Clemson. Also caught... 66 passes over those three seasons those were loaded Clemson teams so you know that obviously helped the production but you know 66 catches 
caught 34 balls as a rookie in the NFL. So I I think he can do it in the passing game. And again, as the roster stands right now, Gallman's going to be a three down back for the Giants. Yeah, we'll see how things go. It might be a knock against him that he didn't average like six yards per carry at Clemson. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. So yeah, you can see exactly how much we'll bid on, on Wayne Gallman, and he's going to factor into the next few weeks a lot more than we would like, and we'll see about Saquon Barkley's return from his ankle injury. Julian Edelman also left at, right at the end of a first half of a game. He was in the midst of putting up a big line during chest injury, rib injury. We'll, we're waiting on details of that. The initial x-ray was negative, so... That kind of staved off some worry temporarily. Edelman's in for more testing today. As we speak, we haven't heard results of that, but we should get more info on whether Edelman's going to miss further time. Yeah, and and with the X-rays coming back clean, um, you know the the these rib injuries are usually pain management stuff, and you know it's obviously easier for a wide receiver to play through something like that than a running back. Dr. Chow on Twitter does not expect Edelman to miss any more time, so you know we'll, we'll see. Philip Dorsett needs to be added regardless of Edelman's status. I mean, he's had two big games now without Antonio Brown. Played 84% of the snaps in the opener, 92% of the snaps yesterday. So, you know, again, I, I think he should be on on fantasy rosters regardless of Edelman's status. Then it looks like Jacoby Myers would be the Edelman replacement if he does miss more time. Uh, Myers, the, the rookie out of NC State, had a big preseason and he, he was the guy who replaced Edelman yesterday. Um, he ended up playing 86% of his snaps in the slot. So, you know, he, he'd be a deep league option if Edelman does miss more time. And he would probably be a buzzy uh, DFS option against Buffalo next week. From sure. I haven't watched the Patriots-Jets game back, but it looks like from the numbers, both Edelman's and the tackle numbers on the other side, that the Patriots were targeting uh, slot corner Brian Poole in coverage for the Jets. They're on a week four bye. But once they return from that, that might be something to watch for our receiver targets going forward. Yes, definitely. T.Y. Hilton aggravated the quad injury that limited his practice time last week in yesterday's game. He said that the medical staff ruled him out for the second half because they didn't want him to tear it, according to Mm -hmm. Stephen Holder of The Athletic. That does not seem to bode well for his chances of playing in week four. Right, and he was limited all last week in practice with this quad injury. It was actually listed as questionable. There was a report Sunday morning. I, it was either from Schefter or Rappaport that you know, had Hilton as a, a game-time decision. Um, so it was obviously an issue coming in. You know, aggravations are never good. So we'll have to track his practice participation this coming week. And, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like we can really recommend or use anyone behind Hilton on the depth chart. It was, you know, it was a wide receiver rotation for the Colts after Hilton left that game. Deion Kane actually ended up leading the Colts in snaps, but he only played 56% of the snaps. Paris Campbell was at 45%. Zach Pascal, 44%. Chester Rogers, 41%. So, you know, I don't think we can trust any of those guys in week four lineups, even if Hilton's up. Yeah, and even though Hilton missed half the game, he still saw six more targets than any other Colt for the game. Saw 10 of those. Next was Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, and Naheem Hines all tied with four. So I agree the wide receiver group would probably be one to avoid in week four if there's no T.Y. Hilton. Paris Campbell did see a bump, 29%, 26% playing time the first two weeks to 45% in yesterday's game. So, you know, maybe he gets on the deep league radar, but I would rather avoid the wideouts. And maybe missing Hilton gives a little bit more juice to Doyle, Ebron, Naheem Hines in week four. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think Hilton being out might might make Eric Ebron and or Jack Doyle usable. Um, the Colts are home for the Raiders in week four, so it's a good spot. 
Yeah, I was going to say that matchup might just make it a 40-carry week for Marlon Mack, too. Yes, yep. Jacoby Brissett was at least strong against the Falcons. 75.7% completions, 8.4 yards per attempt. Those The yards per attempt are a little deceiving, though, because he still threw for the sixth fewest air yards per target on the yeah. week, according to NFL Next Gen stats. So we, we don't want to overrate that. And maybe the takeaway here is is just how giving Atlanta is as a passing defense. Yeah, and that's been pretty consistent with Brissett through the first three weeks now. He's just sort of playing conservative football, but he's he's playing well. And again, you know, that that Raiders matchup, I think, is gonna again like last week. You know, I think we had him. You know, in in starter range for deeper leagues, I think he's going to be sort of the same thing this week. A, a spot start option in in deep leagues. Yeah, I agree. Probably right in that like thirteen to seventeen range for most weeks going forward. Yep. Vance McDonald suffered a shoulder injury against the 49ers. He was on the injury report in week three with a back issue, but I mean, put in full practices the the final two days. So it looks like the shoulder is what we need to watch. Fortunately for him, they don't play until Monday night against Cincinnati. But, you know, again, we're going to have to wait and see what his participation is this week to see if he's in play. Yeah, and McDonald obviously has the lengthy injury history. That, that's sort of been his problem as a pro. He hasn't been hasn't been able to stay healthy. I think the bigger concern going forward is how Mason Rudolph looked yesterday. It's kind of tough to trust anyone in that passing game outside of Juju right now. Yeah, that was ugly, but we'll get to more of that in a few minutes. Cam Newton did not play in Week 3, and he has already been ruled out for Week 4. They're visiting Houston. That means Kyle Allen will get another start, and he's... I, he's at least a pickup in 14-team leagues. I, we should use this, I think, to transition over to the, the quarterbacks who filled in or took mm-hmm. over in one guy's case yesterday. And I, I wonder, what what are you making of Kyle Allen's big day against Arizona? My biggest takeaway is start quarterbacks against the Cardinals, which is what we've been saying. Um, the, the Cardinals have now allowed quarterback finishes of fourth, second, and sixth through the first three weeks. Um, they get the Seahawks. In week four, so obviously, you know, a good spot for Russell Wilson. Kyle Allen looked better throwing the ball than Cam Newton did across the first two weeks. That's that's not saying a lot, but he he at least looked serviceable, made the throws he needed to make, got the long catch and run touchdown from DJ Moore at the Texans next week for Kyle Allen. A fine matchup, like you said. You know, fourteen team league, grab him if you're weak at quarterback. Maybe he's an option. Two quarterback league, nice option. But I'm not going crazy. You know, we we probably just saw. Kyle Allen's best fantasy game uh, this past week. I agree. Houston's another decent spot, but I would not go out of my way to start Kyle Allen this week. If I'm in trouble, then I think he's an option. But his two appearances so far have been against that Arizona defense and last week 17 against a New Orleans team that already had its its uh, top seed locked up. And, right. you know, as you mentioned with those Arizona QB finishes against them so far, it's also worth remembering that they have come to Kyle Allen, Matthew Stafford, Lamar Jackson in the middle certainly looks fine based on his other performances. But I, I, I agree that the main takeaway here, so I, I guess the two main takeaways, the one is that Arizona is horrible and every quarterback against them should be considered for fantasy. And two, that Kyle Allen is at least good enough that we don't need to downgrade uh, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Greg Olson, Christian McCaffrey. Yes, exactly. Also start your uh, tight ends against the Cardinals. They've given up three big tight end games now. DJ Moore only had the two targets yesterday. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that. I'm not going to put too much stock in it. You know, I don't think it's, you know, Curtis Samuel is Kyle Allen's guy. I think, you know, it's probably just more of a one game blip, but at least something that to watch in week four. Yeah. And Kyle Allen only threw 26 passes in that game. So Vaughn right. was not on anybody's side there. Yep. Daniel Jones was... 
Uh, maybe the bigger quarterback story. 23 of 36, 336 yards, two touchdowns, no picks at Tampa Bay. And that came despite a pretty good amount of pressure in the pocket. Five sacks, 11 quarterback hits for the Bucks in that game. Jones also added four carries for 28 yards and two touchdowns. You know, <laughs> we said even though we were among the large crowd of skeptics for Daniel Jones after he was drafted, that once he did get into the lineup, he could potentially deliver us more fantasy value than you might expect because he can run with the ball. Yep, it's the rushing upside that makes him exciting. But, I mean, he was excellent in the preseason throwing the ball, and he was really good throwing the ball against the Bucks yesterday. So, you know, I'm coming around on Daniel Jones. But like you said, it's the, it's the rushing that makes him a guy who I, I think is going to be a spot start option now throughout the rest of the season. Losing Saquon Barkley obviously hurts. I mean, you know, that that's one of, if not their best, passing game weapon. Um, Jones will at least get Golden Tate back in week five, so that'll help. Yeah, there's a week four matchup with Washington coming up. I, I think Joe, I mean, we'll see what the week four rankings say tomorrow, but I can definitely see Jones challenging for a top 12 spot there. Beyond that, we've got the Vikings and Patriots, and I would rather not touch Daniel Jones those two weeks. But as you said, we do get Golden Tate back in week five, and then week seven, we got that Cardinals defense. And granted, they're yeah. going to get Patrick Peterson back for that game, but I don't think Patrick Peterson is standing between them being god-awful and them being a matchup to be scared of. Exactly, yeah. Um, and and you know, we still have that elevated pace with the Cardinals, which is another reason they've been giving up so much production to quarterbacks. So yeah, I, I think Daniel Jones is going to be a spot start option in, in two of the next four weeks here. Yeah, and I would definitely be prioritizing Jones over Kyle Allen on the QB waiver wire this week. For sure. Teddy Bridgewater went 19 to 27, 177 yards, two touchdowns, no picks in the win at Seattle. Now, 10 of the <laughs> targets went to Alvin Kamara, who accounted for 52% of the Saints passing yardage. Seven targets went to Michael Thomas, who accounted for another 30.5% of the yards, and he only had 52 yards on his five catches. So it was nice to see Teddy Bridgewater succeed. I think we can all rally around his comeback, but Mm -hmm. the praise for him needs to stop short of acting like the Saints' pass offense is just fine with him because Bridgewater put up a, a, a week low 3.3 air yards per target in a game against a defense that's been terrible so far. Yeah, I saw too. He didn't have a he didn't have a single pass that traveled more than 15 yards downfield. So it was obviously a conservative game plan. I think the the best thing you can say for Bridgewater as a fantasy option, you know, for the next however long Drew Brees is out, is that Taysom Hill didn't play an increased role. It actually seemed like he played even less than he was behind. Drew Brees, which I I think is because the Saints know they can't risk a Taysom Hill injury with you know only Bridgewater ahead of him on the depth chart now. So at least Bridgewater is going to be taking the majority of the snaps. But beyond that, and I guess the fact that he has Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas to throw to, you know, not not an exciting fantasy guy going forward. Or maybe it's because they know they have less margin for error with that goofy crap with uh, Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> in the lineup instead of Drew Brees. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I think the two main takeaways for fantasy here, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas will be okay. The Seattle defense blows. I mean, they've had, they've allowed the big day to Andy Dalton in week one. They allowed Mason Rudolph to look solid in week two. And then they allowed the Saints to score 33 points and beat them in week three. So Kyler Murray breakout week is coming in week four here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a misdiagnosis for week three. I think week four might be it. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll be very curious to see come Friday what the own rate is for Kyler Murray, but I'm also going. I'm also planning to ignore own rates this week. We'll get more into that later in the week. 
<laughs> I like it. Mason Rudolph, we just mentioned him, looked fine as a fill-in last week against Seattle. Sunday, though, 14-27, 174 yards, two touchdowns, one pick against San Francisco. Pittsburgh got a lot of takeaways here, did not capitalize on them, and one of the two Mason Rudolph touchdowns was a 76-yarder that was mostly Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, and the other one was Deontay Johnson breaking wide open, so that was a pretty easy throw, too. Uh, Mason Rudolph had just two completions that were, you know, completed more than five yards downfield. So another guy kind of like Bridgewater, it was a conservative game plan, completed just 52% of his passes. I mean, you, you can't lose a game when you get five turnovers. Uh, you, you just can't do that. So Rudolph, again, I, I thought he looked good in relief of Ben Roethlisberger in week two. So it was surprised, disappointed how he looked in this game. You know, not not going to completely throw in the towel on this Steelers passing game. But for, for now, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is the only guy who should be in fantasy lineups. Yeah, the good news for Rudolph and the Steelers is that now they get a long week. They play Monday night, and they play at home against Cincinnati. So it's a positive matchup, a good spot for Rudolph to kind of progress. But, I mean, we should expect some struggles from him. He is a third-rounder who's getting his first regular season NFL action. So it certainly wasn't shocking. And, you know, We'll still see. If you look at the numbers, the Niners look like a tough defense, but so far they've faced a horribly playing Jameis Winston. They've faced Andy Dalton, who, I don't know, can go either way, I guess. And they've faced Mason Rudolph at their place. So we're still heading toward the path where the Niners might be a pretty good defense, and it's still kind of wait-and-see time, I think. Yeah, the other thing with Rudolph, I mean, there's just not a lot for him to lean on. Like, they're, they're trotting out... James Washington, a second-year receiver, Deontay Johnson, a rookie, and even Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, I mean, he's still a young kid, and this is his first year as the team's clear number one wideout. So I, I think there's you know just a lot that needs to get settled in that Steelers passing game. Yeah, worth noting that Rudolph put up the seventh-fewest air yards per target for the week, fewer than Luke Falk for the Jets. <laughs> also worth noting, though, I think, in the first game where Dante Moncrief was a healthy scratch, we got 92% playing time from James Washington, who was at 52 and 59% in the first two games. And Deontay Johnson was at 79% after 36%, 46% in the first two weeks for him. Yeah, Moncrief, healthy, healthy scratch, like you said. Ryan Switzer played zero snaps. So at least it looks like we have the Steelers' top three wide receivers. So I do think James Washington and even probably Deontay Johnson should be owned in deeper leagues. Luke Falk, 12 for 22, 98 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick in a game that we all knew he would struggle against the Patriots. 30 to 14 win for the Pats, but both of those touchdowns for the Jets came late and from the defense. One came on a muffed punt, the other on a long interception return. Luke Falk's target depth was a little bit deeper than in week two. Um, Still, I'm going to try to avoid all things Jets as much as I can as long as Sam Darnold's out. Yeah, well, the Jets go on by in week four here, and it sounds like Darnold has a shot to return for week five. So, you know, hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about Luke Falk. We'll all be praying for Sam Darnold's spleen to shrink, it sounds like. <laughs> yep. Uh, Kyler Murray's non-breakout, we alluded to it earlier, 173 yards, two touchdowns, two picks on 43 pass attempts. He was helped by eight carries for 69 yards, so he did finish QB 14 depending on your scoring format, but took eight sacks and threw the third fewest air yards per target for the week, Mm. 4.8. Yeah, um, I mean, I think we just have to expect ups and downs like this with a rookie quarterback, um, you know, with a first-time head coach. The the offensive line is the major problem here, and I hope it doesn't ruin Kyler Murray. We've seen it happen to quarterbacks where, you know, they they get into bad habits because they're just constantly pressured. So that's what we got to hope for. Like you said, you know, quarterback 14 finish, in a bad game for Kyler Murray. I think, you know, that I take that as a positive, you know, that his, his floor is okay because we got the rushing finally, you know, we didn't get it those first two weeks, but 
69 rushing yards in this game. That was good to see. And we, we still got the volume, uh, both the play volume. The Cardinals ran 73 plays in this game and the passing volume for Kyler Murray, he threw it 43 times. So, you know, that, that volume plus the rushing, I think does, you know, still give him a decent floor, even when he has a tough game. Yeah. He let you down if you start, if you trusted him for a DFS tournament, but if it was season long, he did okay. And as we mentioned, Seattle's up next. We're coming off Andy Dalton, Mason Rudolph, and 33 points to the Saints. So it's it looks like at least a solid spot for Kyler Murray. And if he's my main starter or one of the two I'm regularly deciding between, then I, I'm trying to feel pretty good about Kyler Murray heading into this matchup. Yeah, like, I, like I, I'd still start Kyler Murray over Daniel Jones this coming week. Yeah, I believe that I probably would too. On to the running backs now, and Kerryon Johnson's going to be a guy that we're all watching closely around here throughout the year. And in doing so, you can't be disappointed in his usage against the Eagles yesterday. 20 carries, 75% of the snaps. Yep, and I'm all about that usage. I mean, 75% of the snaps, 75% of the running back opportunities. He had 20 carries, one target. Um, obviously, the efficiency wasn't there. The Eagles have been good against the run this season. They they entered week three second in football outsiders run defense rankings and allowed just 2.9 yards per carry through running backs over the first two weeks. So I, I just think that that's a good running defense. So I'm not super worried about the poor efficiency from Karrion Johnson. If he continues to get anywhere close to this type of usage, you know, he, he's going to be a borderline RB1. I agree. I mean, the, the playing time jumped to 75% from 57 to 55 the first two weeks. They, of course, added Paul Perkins and dropped CJ Anderson during the week. So I would assume that Paul Perkins is going to be active going forward. We'll see what that does to the playing time. I certainly don't think Paul Perkins is going to jump in and grab a bunch of the touches. But, you know, we'll see what the effect is on playing time. It's notable, I think, too, that even though Carrion Johnson only saw one target, he actually saw his most snaps in route of the season so far compared to the passing volume for the team. So he was at 41.5% in that category in week one, 39.4% in week two, 53% yesterday against Philly. So I'm discouraged that he hasn't been targeted more so far, but I'm also still in wait and see mode because of that. Yeah, the, the, the routes run, um, that's encouraging. It's not like Ty Johnson or JD McKissick saw a bunch of targets yesterday. The, the play volume and passing volume in general was just down for the Lions. They had the, was it a kick return touchdown or a, or a punt return yeah, touchdown? Return. Yeah, so, you know, that that killed the drive, and they were playing with the lead for most of that game. So I think, you know, that killed the passing volume a bit too. Sony Michelle scored a touchdown, but had nine total carries, 11 rushing yards. It was a five-yard rushing TD, so six yards on his other eight carries. Uh, what are you doing with Sony Michelle this week? I'm a little, I'm a little mad because I wanted to make him a sell in that first buy sell hold report, but it, the schedule is just has been so good. It continues to be just games you'd expect them to be Sony Michelle games, and yeah, you know, we did get a Michelle game in week two. The fantasy production was there, even if the efficiency wasn't great, but. Um, he, he's just been bad. He's still not getting used in the passing game at all. He has one target and zero catches through three games. And, and again, you know, at Buffalo this week, that that's not a good rushing matchup. But even after that, you know, Washington, the Giants, the Jets, like those are games the Pats should be playing with big leads. So, you know, they seem like Michelle games, but I might use that. I might use the touchdowns and I, I might still be trying to sell Sonny Michelle right now because he, he just does not look good. Buffalo's a good rushing matchup this week. They play the pass tougher than they do the run. They're 27th entering this past week in uh, Football Outsiders' run defense ratings. 
So we'll see how close the game is. The Buffalo mm-hmm. New England games can at times be closer than you expect going in. I'm selling the hell out of Sonny Michelle this week, though, coming off touchdowns the past two weeks. I mean, he got outcarried by Rex Burkhead, who also saw seven targets in that game without James White. Throw in that there's always knee concern for Sonny Michelle. I'm getting out as soon as I, whenever I can when there's like this positive bubble on him. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm with you there. Devonte Freeman, speaking of positive bubbles, we'll see if he can continue. <laughs> but at the very least, he finally had a rebound game against the Colts. 16 carries for 88 yards, three catches for seven yards on four targets. And we got an Edo Smith concussion. Yeah. I mean, it, it was nice to see the Freeman production and the efficiency. You know, we, we obviously can't read into the usage too much because Smith left that game. I believe it was in the first quarter with a concussion. So, you know, who knows exactly what the what the workload split would have been if Smith had stayed on the field. But, it, you know, at least good to see that Freeman can still get it done in a good matchup when he gets the ball. Yeah, I mean, we'll wait and see on it. The, the matchup's fine against Tennessee next week. Certainly not an opponent that should run up the score and take it away from the running game. So, you know, we'll see how soon Edo Smith com- comes back. The concussions have seemed to generally mean at least a game off lately, uh, so we'll watch that. And if Freeman heads into that one as a starting running back, he should be a pretty solid start. Yeah, he's a hold for me. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not going out aggressively trying to buy him at this point, but you know, I, I also still think you, you'd probably be selling right now for less than he's worth. It still seems like there's a lot of people who don't believe in him. Yeah, I, I agree that he's a hold. If somebody came asking for him in a, a solid offer for me, I'd certainly be willing to listen. Yep. Alexander Madison scored a touchdown, 12 carries in that game. Playing time is the highest in his three games so far, 30% in that game, 23% in the opener, 12% in between in the loss. So I think he was mixing in with Dalvin Cook. Madison was on the field for the third possession, and that seems like what he's going to be doing when they have positive game script for running the ball. But it's also probably going to be one of his bigger, if not his biggest, rushing performances of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think Madison's still a handcuff, and you know, he he's an elite handcuff. I think he he should be owned pretty much in all. You know, I, I would say at least in leagues of ten plus teams, you should find a spot for Madison on your bench because if Cook goes down, and, you know, Cook obviously has the injury history. Um, if he goes down, the Vikings are gonna want to continue to be a, a run leaning team, and, and Madison um, would get the volume. And I think he's good enough to produce with the volume. Yeah, I mean, if Madison's available in places, it, the, a, a Dalvin Cook injury would would mean somebody in your league probably spending the rest of their waiver budget to get Madison. Oh, yeah, I, I would. Uh, Tony Pollard also had a big day, 13 carries, 103 yards, touchdown, three catches for 25 yards on three targets. Now, the carries look good, and it makes it look like he's infringing on Ezekiel Elliott's workload, but the first half of that game was 13 Zeke carries to two for Pollard. Five of Pollard's 13 rushing attempts came on the final drive of the game after Ezekiel Elliott's day was done. All three of his catches, though, came before Zeke left the game. So maybe Pollard takes some of that stuff away, and that has been a worrisome point for Zeke Elliott so far, the target share. Yeah, definitely worrisome for Zeke. Um, you know, Pollard's cutting into Zeke's targets a bit, and it just seems like in Kellen Moore's offense, um, you know, Zeke's just not as big a part of the passing game as he was last year. Kind of just com- you know, complaining about a guy who's still an elite running back. But it does it does hurt in, in PPR and hurts his ultimate ceiling, I think, with Zeke. Tony Pollard kind of right there with Alex Madison. I think he he's a handcuff. Um, you know, predicting these games when he's gonna get, you know, more than six to eight touches is gonna be tough to do. But if Zeke 
went down, you know, Pollard would probably be an RB1. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it might seem like being nitpicky about complaining about Zeke Elliott's target count so far, but at some point they're going to face teams that they're not beating by 10 plus points every week. They've got the Giants, Washington, Miami so far. Next comes the Saints and the Packers. So it's going to matter whether we're getting more Zeke targets in games where they're not running the ball so successfully and protecting a lead. We'll kind of see where that goes. It hasn't been... It's been disappointing so far, but he has gone 2-2-3. So it's not like he's, you know, only running along the lines of Sony Michelle. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, just when you compare it to someone like McCaffrey, though, you know, it kind of dings Elliott to a kind of a, a tier below. But like you said, we'll see when these games are more competitive. Zeke, you know, maybe they're still limiting him a bit uh, after the holdout, especially in this game against Miami, which I'm sure they were pretty confident they could win without maybe, you know, unleashing Zeke in the passing game. So we'll we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, going to be an area to watch. In the Niners' backfield, it was Jeff Wilson striking it rich again for <laughs> two touchdowns against the Steelers. According to Rich Rebar of Sharp Football, also at Lord Reeves on Twitter, uh, Jeff Wilson's now tied with Philip Lindsay for the league lead in red zone opportunities with 13. <laughs> also tied with Lindsay and Mark Ingram for the lead in opportunities inside the 10-yard line and inside the five-yard line. So it sure looks like Jeff Wilson is their goal line running back. He is. And um, I think we talked about it on last Thursday's podcast that Kyle Shanahan kind of hinted that Jeff Mm -hmm. Wilson is the goal line running back and will continue to be going forward. Two touchdowns in two straight games now, but he also has 18 total carries for 52 rushing yards in those games. No targets. You can start him if you're feeling lucky and you're hoping to get a touchdown, but if he doesn't score, he's going to hurt you. Yeah, I would trade any of those 49ers running backs that I can get a decent offer on. Yesterday we got 14 carries for Brita, 12 for Raheem Mostert, 8 for Jeff Wilson. Playing time was 41% Brita, 30% Mostert, 27% Wilson. I think at least until Tevin Coleman comes back and maybe beyond that, it's going to be a frustrating backfield to own any players. And obviously they're all in consideration for lineup at this point, but if I can trade them away and get somebody that I can trust more to lead their backfield, I'm going to do it. I mean, I think if you're counting on like Breida and Mostert as like your running back three right now, you're fine. Like, you know, 12 to 15 touches out of your third running back is okay. The, the problem is when Tevin Coleman comes back, That that's why I think those guys are decent sells right now because, you know, Coleman should be back within the next few weeks here. In the Chiefs' backfield, LaShawn McCoy, limited touches, did aggravate the sprained ankle at the end of the third quarter, didn't return after that. But Andy Reid said afterward he expects McCoy to be fine for week four. McCoy scored two touchdowns, so that kind of masks that for the whole game, he only saw eight carries, three targets, five carries in the first half, two targets in that span. The one touchdown run from a yard out, touchdown catch and run from 14 yards out. So, I mean, it was a good fantasy day, but... Not mm-hmm. the kind of day where you're like, oh, Sean McCoy is controlling this backfield when Damian Williams is not there. Yep. I mean, I think the ankle is obviously a concern. Daryl Williams ended up leading the Chiefs in snaps and touches, and he, he looked good. Daryl Williams played clearly ahead of Darwin Thompson. I think Darwin Thompson's only touches came very late in the fourth quarter. We'll just have to monitor McCoy and Damian Williams, their, their health throughout this week. Daryl Williams, I think, needs to be owned in, in pretty much all fantasy leagues while we wait to see on the other guys. Darwin Thompson, I guess at this point, droppable in shallow leagues. I, I would I would still hang on to him if you can, though, just because it's the Chiefs offense, because Thompson looks so good in the preseason, and because, you know, McCoy and Williams are already banged up. Yeah, I would only put in a couple bucks on Daryl Williams in case nobody else wants him this week, but I guarantee that somebody else is going to want him more than I do because he had 
one carry in the first half of yesterday's game, three targets, five of his carries, five of his nine carries for the game came after LaShawn McCoy was done for the day. So Daryl Williams basically played Damian Williams's role, but with even less rushing than the level that we were already disappointed to get from Damian Williams. So I, I agree that Daryl Williams is worth rostering now while we wait and see what's up with Damian Williams, but I also don't think that he is going to be worth a whole lot going forward. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I'd say I, I'd at least prioritize Wayne Gallman and Rex Burkhead over Darrell Williams on the waiver wire this week. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the Bucks backfield, Ronald Jones was at it again. 14 carries, 80 yards, one target was a 41-yard catch and run. Peyton Barber, 13 carries, 48 yards, caught both of his targets for a whopping seven yards. And their snaps were much closer than the week before. Barber, 28 snaps. Ronald Jones, 23. Dari Ogunbowale, 19 (laughs) snaps. I mean, the the whole hot hand thing gets thrown around way too much, but this is really what the Bucks' backfield is. It's I think they they go into these games not knowing who the lead ball carrier is going to be. Jones ended up as the you know better performer in weeks one and three. It was Peyton Barber in week two. I guess the good news is that the Bucks' running game actually has been pretty productive. So at least, you know, one of these guys has been good for fantasy. But guessing who it's going to be on a weekly basis, I, I don't think there's any way to do it, honestly. Yeah, it's like the Niners' backfield, but with less production and worse players. I, I, just like the Niners here, if you have somebody who's in, in serious uh, running back trouble in your league, I would... Try pretty hard to shop Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber or Peyton Barber. Definitely. On to Seattle where Chris Carson let me down big time in DFS. He lost a fumble for the third straight game. He came So after he lost his fumble in the second quarter against New Orleans, it was DJ Proceis opening the next possession. But even before that possession was done, Chris Carson was back on the field now. The question is, what happens when Rashad Penny is back? Because Penny, of course, was inactive for the game. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to see. Um, ESPN's Brady Henderson said that Pete Carroll, after the game, was supportive of Chris Carson, said the fumbles were more a result of good plays by the defense rather than bad ball security on Carson's part. Also, you know, worth noting, Carson only had three fumbles total on his 323 touches over his first two NFL seasons. I don't think he had a fumbling problem in college either. So, the, you know, it's not like he has a history of this. At this point, it's probably more of a mental thing, but it at least it at least seems like Carroll's ready to go back to him again. But like you said with, you know, Penny, if he gets over the hamstring injury, it'll be easier for the Seahawks to go away from Chris Carson if he fumbles again. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, an issue that you can overcome, as Tiki Barber showed us way back, but mm-hmm. it's also something that defenders are going to be coming after now. I mean, the the fumble was in the second quarter, and Chris Carson still managed 15 carries in a game where his team was trailing the entire time. So, right. you know, it, it's annoying if you have Carson, but you're still probably playing him in week four. It would not drastically change my opinion of him. I am curious to see, though, what happens if he loses a fumble when Rashad Penny is around, because I certainly think Rashad Penny is higher on the totem pole than CJ Proceis and has a chance to take more away if Carson does so when he's on the field. It was nice to see some CJ Proceis, though. It's been a while. <laughs> I can't even say it's nice at this point. Maybe if he had, if he had done something big, then I might yeah. enjoy it, but uh, it's it also might be a little too late for me. Yeah, I would definitely stick with Chris Carson in that matchup against the Cardinals that we've talked about this coming week. On to the defenses. We want streaming defenses for week four and week five before we hit the waiver wires this week. And overall, Jared, I've said it before. My top defense pickup right now is Green Bay. They have Philly this Thursday night. 
And I was already looking at that as a matchup that should be okay. The Eagles have now supported two straight top seven fantasy finishes. And I know that the kick return touchdown factored into that, but the Eagles have also turned the ball over five times over the past two weeks. They've allowed six sacks across their past two opponents. And Green Bay is going to easily be the best defense that they will have faced to this point. Yeah, I'm definitely sold on the Packers being a good defense. Um, Eagles all banged up going on the road on a short week on Thursday night. So I like Green Bay. Chargers are the top option, right? I mean, I, I assume you're assuming that they're gone in most leagues. Yeah, I'm assuming the Chargers are owned, and I they will be ranked ahead of Green Bay probably this week for me <laughs> at Miami. Yeah, if the Chargers are available in a league, I, I you know I'd I'd bid like up to ten percent on them on them um, because you get the Miami matchup this week, and then you get a home game for the Broncos in Week Five. So I think you know they could be a top five defense the next two weeks. Yeah, I, I agree with that there. And Green Bay is at Dallas next week, so probably not mm-hmm. playing the Packers in that one. On the other side of the Dallas matchup, though, are home dates with Detroit and Oakland. So I think Green Bay will be a defense worth holding through that Dallas matchup, even if you're not using them. Yep, I agree. I think beyond the Chargers and Packers for week four, sort of the, the fallback for me would be the Colts, who are at home for the Raiders. Um, you know, not a great defense. Sounds like they just lost safety Malik Hooker for a few weeks here. But Oakland, you know, a- after that, solid week one against the Broncos and that it looks like that was more about the Broncos defense being bad than the Raiders offense being good in the last two weeks um, the Raiders have allowed seven sacks turned it over three times and total just 24 points yeah I can definitely see that and if you do pick up Green Bay for this week against the Eagles and don't have the Chargers available then I think the 49ers are a week five option they're going to be at home against Cleveland and you know like I said we'll see how good the defense is but Cleveland has stunk on offense so far and in that road game at San Francisco, they certainly look like an upside matchup. Yep, that's who I have down um, for Week 5, the 49ers. That defensive line against the Browns O-line is going to be a major mismatch. And before we get out of here, I just saw that Ian Rappaport tweeted that a source told him Julian Edelman will be good. Quote. Glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our updated rest of the way rankings, along with free agent focus articles for both offense and defense. Midday Tuesday, of course, our week four rankings will go live on the site and they'll arrive in your inbox if you're a DS insider. The podcast will be back your way Thursday to preview all the post-Eagles Packers action for week four. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 